while I post them. So again, where we left off last night, or last Sunday, was uh, verse 26, where it says, As Lot and his family are being taken out of Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 26 says, But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Now again, salt was uh, a preservative. It was used to purify. And so here we have Lot's wife looking back, but the key as to why this happened and why this judgment took place was because they were told not to look back. And what she was turned into, this pillar of salt, again, we as Christians are called to uh, be salt and light so that the world may taste and see that the Lord is good. But here she becomes a memorial for the preservation of evil because she looks back at that life fondly. Now, we can't deny who we were, but the Bible says this, that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed. Behold, all things have been made new. And we're not to look back in a way that is fond or um, to celebrate our glory days, those days possibly for some of you of drinking and drugging and to say, oh, those were the days and we look back at them in fondness. No, 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 no. We get a hint as to how to do this by the Apostle Paul. It's the book of Philippians. It's chapter 3. And Paul shows us um, what it means to really look back at these moments and, you know, for our testimonies, because this is an important part of the testimony is to remember where we came from. We have to remember where we came from and not deny where we came from. And so in Philippians chapter 3, it's verse 4, Paul says this, he says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, though uh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Hey, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Listen, because this is the key. But what things were gained to me, these things I've counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means... I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Do you see what Paul's doing? When Paul looks at his past, Paul's not saying, oh, I wish I were back there. I wish I was doing that again. Oh, no, all that stuff is rubbish. We don't look back. We look at the present soberly, and we look to the future with anticipation, expecting great things from God, attempting great things for God, as we talked about in today's message over at the church. But we don't look back with fondness. Jesus actually recounts this moment with Lot's wife in the book of Luke. It's chapter 17. And in Luke 17, uh, something very interesting is said that there's another judgment coming. And it says in that day, verse 31 of Luke 17, he who is on the housetop, housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Look at verse 32. 
remember Lot's wife. When you are tempted to look back in fondness at those days, oh, remember Lot's wife. We are not to look back with any deference or any satisfaction at the life that we had because once we found Jesus, we found everything. So Lot's wife looks back. And now we move on to verse 27. And it says here, And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land, which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Stop right there. Do you remember that Abraham was saying, Lord, are you going to destroy the whole place? What if there are 50 righteous? Do those 50 righteous die with, the, with all the unrighteous? That doesn't seem quite fair. And it seems that Abraham's prayer is not answered. Not even 10 of the righteous are found. But maybe Abraham's prayer is answered somewhat because Lot and his family are spared. It tells us here because God remembered Abraham. He remembered Abraham's intercession. Listen, your prayers might not always get answered the way that you want them to be answered exactly. But God always answers our prayers. Sometimes his answer is yes. Sometimes it is no. Sometimes it is wait. But God answers our prayers. If you're in a waiting pattern, the Bible tells us, hey, continue to intercede. Be persistent in your prayers. Jesus teaches us about persistent prayers in the gospel. And it's important to continue to pray and petition God as Abraham had done. So Lot and his family are delivered because of the persistent prayer. Now here again, you see the smoke rising. And that smoke rising, that, that's telling us that, hey, God's judgment is real. But his deliverance is just as real. And in each judgment that we've seen, even with Noah and the ark, we see the judgment is real, the deliverance is real. We see that there is a holy God, but that he's also a loving God. We see that there is a just God, yet we also see that he is merciful and graceful. And all of these qualities displayed best on the cross of Jesus Christ always. The greatest act of love the world has ever seen the greatest act of wrath the world will ever know on that cross. And so verse 30 of chapter 19 of Genesis, Then Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave, now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come into us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine, 
that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. So the daughters basically here think that the world is destroyed, that their father is not going to be able to continue the lineage, and so they make an assumption that it's their responsibility to carry forth life on earth. And so they take it upon themselves. Now, they had just been delivered supernaturally by God, but it doesn't say that Lot was leading his family to the Lord. It doesn't say that the daughters were starting to seek after God because they saw such a terrible judgment. It doesn't say anything like that. And so what we see is, again, mankind trying to help out the situation, trying to help out the cause under false assumption, thinking that they understand what God is doing. And how many times do we act out on our own because we think we know what God is doing when most of the time we have no idea? Listen, Isaiah chapter 55 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Listen, Christian, we come to a very dangerous place when we feel like we are out of options and we begin to take matters into our own hands. And that's what we see here. So the oldest daughter sleeps with Lot. And then we see in verses 34 through 38, it says, It happened on the next day, that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night, now it's your turn. Okay, so let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she was arose. So yes, Lot was hammered. It says, verse 36, Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their own father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. Listen, what you have here in Moab and Ben-Ami. Well, this will basically be the beginning of the Moabite people and the Ammonite people, who will both be stumbling blocks to the children of Israel. They were born of sin, and they were accursed people. In the book of Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, it says, No Moabite nor Ammonite shall enter into the assembly of the Lord. No Moabite, no Ammonite shall enter into the assembly of the Lord. Yet something significant, highly significant happens here. Because most of you within hearing of this are familiar with a very famous Moabite. Let me give you a little background. There's a story in the Old Testament of a man named Elimelech who takes his wife Naomi. And he takes them out of Judah and brings them to a foreign land. So Elimelech and Naomi, because of a famine, well, they take their family and their two sons, they take them to a foreign land, and the two sons 
marry foreign wives, one named Ruth, who is a Moabite, and another named Orpah. Now, it doesn't go well for Elimelech and his family, for he dies in that land, and his two sons die, and now all you have left is Naomi and the two daughter-in-laws, two foreign daughter-in-laws. And Naomi says, you know what, I'm just going to go home. You all go your own way. But Ruth, this Moabite, shows herself to be righteous, and she makes a commitment to Naomi that perhaps you've heard read at some funerals. I mean, some weddings, sorry. <laughs> you've heard them read at some weddings. So this is what Ruth said. Ruth said to Naomi, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you, for wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge, and your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And so here you see this Moabitess from this cursed people, uh, born from sexual immorality, making this uncommon commitment to Naomi. Well, when they go back to Naomi's land, she meets a man named Boaz. And Boaz, well, he takes a look at this woman and he sees her, um, he sees her work ethic. He sees her integrity. He sees her honesty and her purity. And he takes her as his own and it's a great picture of the gospel. And as a matter of fact, when we think of this Moabite woman, she is one of four women that are mentioned, listen, in the lineage of Jesus Christ found in the book of Matthew. The lesson is clear. God would even take a Moabite woman and do something amazing and include her in the lineage, in the lineage of Jesus Christ. It's the same lineage that we're a part of the moment that we come to the cross. We repent of our sins, ask Jesus to be our Savior. Well, now you're part of that family line. See, I don't know about what you did. I know about the things that I did. And I know the line that Ruth was from. She was a Moabite. And God said, no, you're one of mine. You're one of mine, and I'm including you. Chapter 20 of Genesis. And it says, Abraham journeyed from there to the south after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, and here we go again, he says, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now again, growing up, uh, my father had a book, a little devotional book, um, in one of the places where he did his devotions. And I remember reading this. It said that a smart man learns by his own mistakes, but a wise man profits from the mistakes of others. Here, what we have is Abraham, not even having learned from his own mistake, compelled to look at the power of a great king, Abimelech, and try to save his own skin, thinking that because of the culture, if he went into this land with his beautiful wife, that again, well, this king might have power to take his life. When there was such a promise on Abraham, he'd already been delivered. He'd already experienced God's goodness and God's faithfulness. And yet again, because of the culture, 
Abraham's decision is being compelled to coerce his wife and to say, listen, she's my sister. She's my sister. And we look at this, and, and I don't know about you, but I cringe. I cringe. It's like, how could he do the same thing over and over? How can he do the same thing again? God showed him how faithful he was before. So Abra how could Abraham blow it again? And as we look at that, then I am forced also to take a look in the mirror at all the times that I've said, well, I'm past this, I'm past this, and then the situation, the press is on, and there's a similar response. And so Abraham does the same thing that he had done uh, way back in Genesis 12, and you'd think, oh, by this time, eight chapters. Now, there, there's something else here that's pretty significant. By this time, Abraham is about 100, and Sarah is 90. She must have aged well, you think? So he's compelled to say, listen, she is my sister. And the king um, sent, and he took Sarah. Verse 3 through 7, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man. Not words you want to hear from God Almighty. He said, You are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken. For she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her and said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself, said, he's my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Stop right there. The condition, the, the commitment that God made, the covenant that God made with Abraham was unconditional. It was unconditional. And despite what Abraham does here and what Sarah does here, God's protection is still on them. Because if you remember what God said, I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. Basically, those who come against you because you're my child. Now, now listen to this, because this is pretty significant for you, the child of God, who the Bible says because you repented of your sins, you became an heir to the throne of Christ, a co-heir to the throne of Jesus Christ. That is the promise that is on you. And so what we have is the protection of God. And the reason we miss the protection of God is because we're so often trying to protect ourselves. Now, Abimelech proves himself to be the righteous one here, doesn't he? Abimelech says, God, listen. Your child, your kid, Abraham, lied to me. His wife, Sarah, lied to me. They both lied, and in the integrity of my heart, I had absolutely no idea. And God, at that moment, tells Abimelech, well, this is what you have to do. Restore the man's wife. He's a prophet. And he will pray for you and you shall live. I don't know about you. At this moment, 
Abraham's prayers, if I'm Abimelech, would not mean a whole lot to me. You're a liar, and you're going to go to God on my behalf, and this is how you behave? Listen, it has been well said that the reputation of the gospel is bound in the life of the believer. How we act, how we respond to the world, the world is looking at you, and it has been well said that you might be the only Bible someone ever reads. And so if they're looking at you in the Walmart checkout line, and you're the only Bible they read, or at the gas station, or uh, wherever it is, how's their reading? What if Abraham was the only Bible Abimelech ever read? If you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech is spoken to by God in this dream, and yes, he is given a choice. He's given a choice. Verse 8. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? And, and just stop right there for a second. This would kind of be like Abimelech saying to Abraham, you, you call yourself a Christian? I don't know about you, but there's nothing more painful to me than when I make a bonehead move and somebody says, are you, are you really a pastor? Or if you blow it at work and someone says, well, you're, you're supposed to be the Christian here. You know, what's going on? Abimelech basically rebukes the man of God, the child of God. Verse 11 says, And Abraham said, Well, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife, but indeed she is truly my sister. Listen to this. But indeed she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever we go, say of me, He is my brother. What? I don't necessarily see repentance. I don't necessarily see an apology from Abraham. What I see is rationalizing. Somebody once taught me that when you think of the word rationalize, when we try to rationalize, it's made up of two words, rational lies. Well, you know, the reason that I did it was because, um, first of all, you all don't fear my God. You don't fear God, so it, it, it's partially your fault, and I'll get killed, and, and, and I don't want to die. But, I mean, she is truly my sister, and so Abraham is sitting here rationalizing because of the culture. Listen. The church is called to influence the culture, but too often the culture is infiltrating and influencing the church of Jesus Christ. And for the Christian, we have to ask, is our conduct being compelled because of God's truth and we believe He is who He says He is, 
or is fear of what's happening in the culture compelling us to act more like the world and to act in the flesh instead of acting in the spirit? And so Abraham continues to rationalize and he said, oh, well, you know, I, I, I told my wife way back when we struck a little deal that wherever we would go, she would say that she's my sister. As if that makes it okay. And as if that makes it right. Verse 14 of chapter 20, it says, Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham, and he restored Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you, dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. And so, even through this misstep of Abraham's, well, because God's hand is on his life, he's still getting blessed oxen, sheep, a thousand pieces of silver, servants. Listen, this is not a license to go out and do whatever you want. Please understand that, Christian. All right, being a Christian is not for us to be able to go out there and say, well, I'm saved so I can do this, 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 and this and then I'll just pray for forgiveness. Listen, if that's the mindset, then you don't understand the cross of Jesus Christ. God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. Pastor John, where's that in my Bible? Just look at the cross. Look at the cross. God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. What is sin? Anything that we, this is what we teach our kids, anything we think, say, or do that is against the will of God. Who determines what's sin and what's not? It's not the Republicans. It's not the Democrats. It's God. It's God and His Word. That determines it. Verse 17. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. Then they bore children, for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Listen, the book of James says something very interesting. It says here, and remember this, is that Abraham was considered a righteous man, not because of his actions, but because he believed God. And because he believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. And the Bible says something very interesting. It says, the prayer of faith will save the sick in James chapter 5, verse 15, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so Abraham prays for Abimelech, despite the fact that he and his wife have basically been rebuked by Abimelech. Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. He prays for Abimelech, and Abimelech and his house are healed. 
chapter 21. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time that was set of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was, listen, 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. There is a very popular TV preacher that before his messages makes you hold up your Bible, say, this is my Bible, I am who it says I am, I can do what it says I can do. These things are true. You are who God says you are. You can do what he says you can do. That's absolutely true. But maybe it would be a better way to start where this is my Bible. God is who he says he is. He can do the things that he says he can do. You see, God is good on his word 100% of the time. And the things that he said he would do, he has done. So the things that he says he will do, he will do. And we as Christians can live in that truth. And we can live in the power of those promises where, when we are in relationship with his person. It says, as he had spoken, he did. That's where the power comes from, from the Christian. Not from my ideas, not from what I think, but when we can say, thus saith the Lord, or as it is written, or God's word says, the Bible says, Jesus says, this is the final authority that the Christian can trust. Psalm 138, verse 2, it reads like this. I just want to read this to you because this is one of the most profound Verses, I think, in all of God's Word. It says, and this is a psalm of David, the man after God's own heart, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name. God has magnified his word above all his name. And what that means is, listen, if we could trust this part of God's Word, but we couldn't trust this part of God's word, and we can trust this, but we can't trust that, then what good would his name be? He has exalted his word above his name. Listen, if a company that you do business with always does the thing that they say they're going to do, you build trust in them, and they have a good name because their actions are consistent with their promises. God is the ultimate promise keeper forever and always. He did exactly what he said he was going to do, even though it took years. How long have you been waiting for God to come through on something? How long have you been praying for something and been struggling because Abraham and Sarah waited for decades? They laughed at God. 
Sarah actually laughed at God, if you remember. And it was a year before this where Sarah laughed and she was like, yeah, should I, a 90-year-old woman, I mean, can, can God do this? And God said, is anything too hard for the Lord? And now, God has made them laugh. That's Isaac's name, God has made me laugh. But this is a different kind of laughter. This is that laughter that you look at and you say, wow, God, you are exactly who you say you are. You are indeed able to do over and above anything I could ask or imagine. That's the God you are. As they're holding this baby, Sarah's saying, oh, did anybody think this? Did anybody think that me, a 90-year-old woman, would be able to give my husband a baby and nurse this baby? The joy the overwhelming joy. For the Christian, the Bible says we can have pure joy even when we're facing trials of many kinds. Here's what those trials are doing. Those trials are pushing us further and further into the arms of God. That's at least what should be happening. Those trials so that we realize truly that it's in His presence is the fullness of joy. And when I'm going through that trial that's taking my peace away, oh, well, I need to go to God and in Him I find my peace. And that situation where I've been hurt by love, well, I go to Him and I find out that His love is perfect. God made them laugh after so many years. Because what the Bible says is true, and what the Bible says is right, and that's Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary, and they shall walk, and they shall not faint. We conclude tonight's study by simply saying this, that when it comes to Isaac's birth, Isaac, he's a picture of Jesus for us. Both were specially promised sons. Both were products of a supernatural birth. Both mothers were assured of God's omnipotence. In Genesis 18, verses 13 through 14, and in Luke chapter 1, verses 34 through 37, both were named before they were born. Both came at God's appointed time. And both births brought great joy. And so we're going to continue the story of Abraham and Isaac next week. So if you want to read ahead, uh, Genesis chapter 21, verse 8, uh, we're going to try to make it through uh, chapter 23 next week. And we would uh, love it if you would join us back here for that. Right now, we're going to pray. And then we'll take some of your questions. Father God, we thank you. You are the promise keeper. Some have been waiting a long time for healing, for blessing, for provision for deliverance, for joy. 
we have the assurance that when we wait upon you, you always come through. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.